So why is it so hard for us to give up our stuff? So for so many of us, we know that in life that we hold on to and we have so much more than we really need. So when Travis and I first moved to Florida and we first moved to Lakeland, we moved into a one-bedroom apartment, and actually when we moved down here, we fit everything that we owned in two SUVs that we borrowed from my parents in a small U-Haul trailer. But flash forward eight years, a son, and two houses later, there just seems to have grown to be so much stuff. And fitting it back into that one-bedroom apartment, much less those two SUVs and the small U-Haul trailer, that all feels like an impossibility these days. We were really hit with this reality when we moved to our current house in 2021. I remember we were just packing thing after thing after thing, stuff after stuff after stuff. And I was asking myself, wasn't it just yesterday that we were living comfortably in a one-bedroom apartment? Where did all this stuff come from? And so whether we have a lot of means, whether we have a medium amount of means, or whether, you know, we don't have a lot, but we have enough to get by and enough to live a comfortable life, we can find ourselves getting caught up in the pursuit of gaining stuff. Wanting and buying the latest stuff. Wishing that we had more Being mad that we don't have the latest and greatest stuff. Beating ourselves up that we don't have more. We can work and we can gain all in the pursuit of more. Even at the detriment of things like our mental health. Our relationship with our friends, with our family. How about this? Even at the cost of our relationship with God, our discipleship. So this is the second week in a series that we're calling The Stuff, What Distracts Us From. And each week is a different topic. And so this week we're talking about the stuff that distracts us from our discipleship. So discipleship's a really churchy word. You may have heard it before. You may have not heard it before. But here's how I'm going to define it this week. I'm going to define discipleship as that lifelong journey Of growing to be more like Christ. It boils down to your relationship to God. And learning to be more like God. And so. There's a lot of things. That can clutter our lives. And that can distract us. Either from this pursuit of discipleship. Not be good for us spiritually. But it's really not good for us personally. Either. To be honest. Because this endless pursuit of stuff and of money and of status is exhausting. Yes, there's good work that needs to be done. There's necessary budgeting. We need to put food on the table and a roof over our heads. That's all true. But we know that all of this is in contrast to a striving, an endless and gnawing striving to do and get more. That kind of striving that pulls us from our families, pulls us from our friends, is a detriment to our mental health, a detriment to our discipleship, our relationship with God. 
We can see the difference between those two things and know that they are two different things entirely. And so all of this goes beyond money, even though that is a thing that we all struggle with, or many of us struggle with, because there's other stuff that can get in the way of our discipleship too. What about putting all the stuff of busyness in our lives, even if we're busy with good things, but we make ourselves busy to the point we don't have time for our families. We don't have time for our friends. We don't have time to rest and take care of ourselves and Sabbath rest. We don't have time to connect with God. That stuff can get in the way. What about hurts and habits and hangups? What about holding on to guilt and anger and resentment and bitterness? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that can get in between us and that relationship with God. So there's this idea of minimalism. So in a lot of ways, it's a design concept. When I was in church communication, I loved minimalism. I was a big idea of less is more, huge fan of it. It's the idea that you want to have white space, the idea that less is more. But some people think minimalism translates over to our lives as well. Would we be happier? Would we be healthier? Would we be better off and more productive if we made do with less? If we had less in our lives, is it really more? Well, minimalism says yes. But what does scripture have to say about all this? Well, Jesus makes it very clear painfully clear what he thinks about when we get into that gnawing striving of obsessing over stuff too much so hear the word of god from matthew chapter 19 starting in verse 16 and i'll be reading out of the ceb today a man approached him and said teacher what good thing must i do to have eternal life jesus said why do you ask me about what is good There is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. The man said, which ones? Then Jesus said, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man replied, I've kept all these. What am I still missing? Then Jesus said, if you want to be complete, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away saddened because he had many possessions. So here's the thing in this story. We have this young guy who is the ideal disciple, at least on the surface. He's rich. He's young. The money had to come from somewhere, so we can assume he had some sort of status. He's moral because he's quick to tell Jesus he follows all of those commandments that Jesus laid out But Jesus looks past those surface impressions. Jesus saw what he was missing. Jesus saw below the outward expression that was blowing everyone else away. 
Jesus saw his obsession with stuff, his obsession with wealth, his obsession with status. We see this over and over again in the Gospels when Jesus goes to have these conversations with people. The individual things he brings up in people's lives, they're different. They're contextual to what they are struggling with. So for this guy, Jesus saw through to his obsession with striving for things. And so that's what Jesus asked him to give up. So we see in this story that the rich young man didn't even try. He didn't even try to bargain with Jesus, talk about what did I need to give up? What do I not need to give up? How? What's this going to look like? And this is even after the young man was the one to approach Jesus in the first place. Right? Even after all of that, he didn't even try. He just walked away sad because he wasn't willing to give any of it up. He let the love of stuff get in his way of being a disciple. He gave up on following Jesus to hold on to his stuff instead. And the disciples were very perplexed by this. So we read further on in verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you that it will be very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. When his disciples heard this, they were stunned. Then who can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them carefully and said, It's impossible for human beings, but all things are possible with God. So in their Jewish cultural context, the disciples had been really raised to have overemphasized this idea that richness, having money, having possessions meant blessing from God. But what was underemphasized in their culture were the scriptures, were the verses about being generous, about taking care of the poor, about not oppressing the poor. So we then understand where their shock comes from. They had a hard time understanding why Jesus would turn the seemingly perfect, blessed guy away. And so while Jesus saw right to the heart of this man's issue, the disciples were stunned. But what I love about this is that the disciples offer us a window into our own experience of this text. This all is supposed to seem impossible. This all is supposed to seem hard because it is. Particularly for those of us in the United States, really all folks in Western civilization as a whole, we're privileged to have so much and thus this teaching It's hard because the love of stuff gets in the way of following Jesus. The love of stuff gets in the way of discipleship. We know on a practical level, there's a certain amount of work. There's a certain amount of wealth. There's a certain amount of comfortability we need to maintain for ourselves. But we also know generosity, simplicity, not getting caught up in storing more for ourselves at the expense of others. That's what Jesus calls us. To do. Jesus makes that very clear in this painful teaching. And so when we put those side by side, they create these warring sides within us. 
And so that is what Jesus puts for display on this story. That's why it makes us so uncomfortable, so conflicted. But one of the big reasons why I went ahead and went all the way out to verse 26 was that I needed to hear verse 26. So I felt like you probably needed to hear verse 26 as well. This reminder that this is hard, but while it's impossible for human beings, all things are possible with God. Radical generosity is something that is countercultural, and yet... And yet, I see people move into it and move toward this all the time here at First Lakeland. And it's a beautiful thing to see. We celebrated how in a week our Giving Tree bookstore raised nearly $1,000 for the Florida United Methodist Children's Home. That's amazing. So did you know that little old Lakeland is actually, I know we're not that little, but nationally we're one of the most generous places per capita in the country it's crazy so i know that no community is perfect and that includes ours but i see that generosity within the community reflected in our congregation in so many ways i think about the ways that i see you all be generous yes of your finances but even the ways that you are generous with your other resources with your time of serving others, whether that's something officially we do as a church or the ways that I just see you care for one another in day-to-day life. The way that you might give support to a stranger just because you see someone is struggling and might need a kind word or something done for them. The way so many people have gone out of their way, even this morning, to be kind to me because you know that I lost my grandmother. Last week, and I appreciate you for that. It shows that we are learning to lean into this radical culture of um, generosity, of radical generosity that Christ teaches us to do. It's possible we can continue to grow in it, even though that teaching is hard. Yes, we can continue to lean into it. It is countercultural, but it is what God calls us to do. Because when we show the love of God this way, we are showing the love of God to the world. We are showing that the love of our stuff is not something that we're going to let get in the way of showing God's love, not only to our friends, not only to our family, but to every person God loves, which is Everybody. And so how about all that other stuff that gets in the way of following God too? Anger and jealousy and hurts and habits and hang-ups and holding on to bitterness and grudges and resentness and having too much busyness in our lives. Well, God can help us there too. Although it may seem impossible for us, we are reminded from verse 26, nothing is impossible with God. We can learn by taking those steps, by trusting in God, to live into that famous hymn. They will know we are Christians by our love. Because I think that's the message that the world needs to hear, and I think it's the message that we 
can be and do for our world. So each week in this sermon series, we're going to take time to connect each week to a different spiritual practice. And so this week we're doing something called a prayer labyrinth. You may have heard of this before. You may have not heard of this before. So it's a little modified since we don't have a real labyrinth here, but we're going to do the same principle and I'll walk you through how we're going to do that. But this idea is because discipleship is a pathway. Discipleship is about that lifelong journey of learning to be more like Christ. And so thus, walking the path of a labyrinth is like a little bit of that journey. It's reflecting a little bit of that journey here today. So if you ever find yourself really distracted when you're praying and sitting still, well, labyrinths may be for you. And so if you get a little bit of taste of this this morning, you're like, I really like this. Well, I have good news for you. Barnett Park, just down Lake Street next to the Hollis Gardens here in Lakeland, has a real actual prayer labyrinth that's open to the public. You can try it out for real in real life. But here are our three steps um, that we're going to have today. So our labyrinth, what I'm going to invite you all to do is after we take communion, normally you guys would just take a short path right back to your seat. Whatever the shortest path is, that's normally what you do, right? Right. So that's not what we're going to do today. Or at least I'm going to invite you to consider not doing that today and um, walking our prayer labyrinth instead. So what I'm going to invite everyone to do is exit to either my left or your right, depending on how you're oriented, this direction. Walk the length of the room back where the sound booth is. Walk the whole length of the way. Make a turn here at the wall. And when we get to this first kitchen door, because this is the nice wide aisle right here, that's when you can return to your seat. Or if you feel so led, you can make another lap. I'm, I'm not going to stop you. But so here is the way that we'll engage in this spiritual practice. So the first thing, why are we doing this? Why this Sunday? Well, our intention that we name when we go through this prayer practice of the labyrinth, it's going to be different each time. But what I invite you to today is to name this intention of what do I need to let go of? What is that stuff that is getting in the way of your discipleship? Whether that's a physical thing, whether that's the love of a physical thing, whether it's busyness, whether it's a hurt or hang up, maybe it's bitterness or resentment, maybe it's fear of something. It's between you and God, but name your intention before you go on that path of the labyrinth. And then as you pray and walk the labyrinth, you'll have that time to interact with God, to go on that journey, to pray about your intention, about what you need to let go of. And as you return to your receipt, um, take time to reflect. So again, this will all be happening after communion. So after the band will come up and we'll all take communion like normal. And again, invite you to exit to my left, your right, all the way back around, around the sound booth. And then at the first kitchen door, take the nice wide aisle back to your seat. Name your intention. Pray about it as you're walking the labyrinth and then return to your seat. And again, this spiritual practice may be for you, it may not be for you, but we never know until we try. 
And so I invite you, regardless of how you engage with it, how you don't engage with it, let us all take this time to really prayerfully consider that thing of what do I need to let go of that gets in between me and my discipleship. So friends, whatever those things are that get in between us and sharing God's love with the world, May we know that even though it might seem impossible for us to give up, nothing is impossible with God. We can and we will grow into those practices and grow into people who will share and reflect God's love with the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, friends, go in peace and to share God's love with the world. Amen.